Today, people love to talk about who they imagine God to be. They say things like, God is inclusive. God is accepting. God is non-judgmental. God must be progressive. Let's just do what we want, but jumps in to help us whenever we get stuck. Jesus is a good teacher. He's a great prophet. Excellent example. But is he? Or is that just who we want Jesus to be? Is is that just how we imagine God to be because it makes our lives more convenient if that's who he is? According to scripture, eventually we will all know because we are all going to meet him. And I think the Apostle Paul's example here helps us to, to, to come to terms with the fact that at that day, what I thought about Jesus really won't be the deciding factor. It is Jesus as he is. Because there is no set course where you have to start at uh, the, the number one and you have to go to number 10, uh, many times we take bits and parts of the Christian message and we run with what we've got. But our belief is that the Christian life is like a three-legged stool. And if you don't have uh, each of those three legs in place, you find yourselves falling over, find yourself uncomfortable on a wobbly foundation. And so uh, through the month of January, we are looking at those uh, the legs of that stool and asking ourselves whether we have each of them uh, firmly locked in place. Uh, to do that, we are, are examining the conversion of the Apostle Paul and uh, what took place in his life, how it took place, and what we can learn from it about our own faith and uh, our journey together with God. And we're, this morning's message focuses on the first leg, uh, that you, uh, it, it's not the Christian life if you don't believe. And looking at, at uh, faith and what it means to take that, that step with Jesus Christ. Now, Andrew Clavin uh, was, wasn't someone who was likely to consider faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, ethnically Jewish, he grew up in a home where he described his mother as an atheist, his father as almost agnostic. Uh, he felt so get guilty getting gifts for his bar mitzvah because it was a bar mitzvah that neither he nor his parents believed in. He ended up giving away all of his bar mitzvah gifts, and they were considerable, considerable in value. Uh, he graduated from Berkeley with a degree in English literature. He went on to become first a reporter, journalist, and then a Hollywood screenwriter and author. Those aren't the usual credentials of someone who becomes a Christian later in life. And yet he did. And in, he, he describes how Jesus was, in fact, calling to him at every turn in his life and in every, uh, one, of the, every one of the major uh, uh, chapters of it. He writes, When I was a child, he was there in the kindness of a Christian babysitter and the magic of a Christmas Eve spent at her house. When I was a troubled young man contemplating suicide, he was in the voice of a Christian baseball player who gave a radio interview that inspired me to go on. And always, he was in the day-to-day -day miracle of marriage. A lifelong romance had taught me the reality of love and slowly led me to contemplate the greater love that was its source and inspiration. 
But perhaps most important for a novelist who insisted that ideas should make sense, Christ came to me in stories. Slowly I came to understand that his life, words, sacrifice, and resurrection formed the hidden logic behind every novel, movie, or play that touched my deepest mind. Clavin put his faith in Christ at age 49 and was baptized as a Christian. I share his story because I think that we have preconceived notions of uh, the kinds of people who go on to become Christians. Uh, we, we have those assumptions in our minds and we often use them to exclude ourselves or other people from the list of potential candidates uh, for those who would uh, trust in him and make those decisions. Maybe you assume you're too old or too young to trust in him, to make radical decisions about uh, religion, about faith, about Jesus, about uh, the path and direction of your life. You may feel that you're too liberal or too conservative, too progressive, too intellectual. Um, Everybody has categories of uh, those people that we would exclude from the list of those who would go all in with Jesus, and maybe you've decided that's you. And so I offer to you Andrew Clavin's story. I would also, uh, as we walk through this month, we're also offering the life of uh, a man named Saul, who was probably the least likely candidate to ever embrace Christ, and yet he did. And in looking at his life and his story, we see how God can work in each of our lives and how uh, none of us is excluded from uh, the, the working of God in our lives and what he would seek to do within us. I'd like us all in the process of that to reconsider conversion. We all need to get our heads around this because we need to ask ourselves the question, am I converted? We need to ask ourselves, how is someone converted? And we may, need to ask, we may need to be able to have an answer to the question, how can I help someone be converted? And so it's important for us to understand this uh, whole area, how God works in a person's life, how God might be seeking to work in our lives. And uh, as we do, I want to turn to God's word for his instruction and direction. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, I'll read verses 1 to 9 and then 17 to 19. Don't worry, uh, next week we will be coming back at that, uh, the section in between and following. Uh, In the Black Church Bibles in the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 863. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. 
Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And then continuing at verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of God. Now, if you didn't know that this man here named Saul later became the Apostle Paul, you would think this person, there's no way that they're going to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, Verse 1 describes him still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And, And that word still points us back to the last time that we were introduced to Saul Uh, That's at the beginning of the the last chapter where he is giving approval to the death of Stephen, the stoning of uh, Christianity's first martyr. So he he has seen one murder, he has presided over one murder, but he's not satisfied, he wants more. Uh, He uh, is so intent on stamping out Christianity, he asks a high priest for extradition letters for the synagogues Uh, in Damascus, in Syria. And I wonder if you've ever felt that strongly about something. Like he is going to travel to another country. This is very early on in uh, the the, uh, spread of Christianity. He is going to travel to uh, another country to hunt down its its followers. Have you ever had that kind of passion about something? Anything. I think often we've struggled to get off the sofa to to do anything about uh, the things that we care about. Here is a man who was so intent on stopping the Christian faith, uh, he was going to travel to Damascus. Uh, Jerusalem to Damascus today takes you about five hours by car. For Paul, it would mean a six-day journey each way by foot. If we care about something that much, feel that strongly? It's hard to imagine a person more opposed to the Christian faith. But I want to consider what changed him and why, what got a hold of him and what led to his transformation. The passage gives three ingredients. The first is this, conversion is only possible if the scales fall from your eyes. That the, the idea here is that nobody comes to trust in Jesus Christ without dealing with their blindness, without coming to terms with what has uh, gone before, what has kept them from him in the past, and uh, facing that, confronting that square on. Conversion is only possible if the scales fall from your eyes. Now in verse 3, a light shines from heaven as Saul is approaching Damascus. The light is so overwhelming that verse 4 tells us Saul drops to his knees. By the time the encounter is over, he'll be blind. In verse 8 it says, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Up until this point, he's been in charge. He is a leader. He is an intellectual. He is an academic elite among the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Now he has to be led by the hand. Now he is... Uh, blind and can't see forward, he is at the mercy of the people around him. 
Saul will be completely blind for the next three days. As you're hearing that, is anybody else thinking, why on earth would Jesus do that? We usually think about Jesus healing the blind people, not making people blind, right? What's going on there? Why, why would Jesus take away somebody's sight? We, we, we don't have those, uh, those images or pictures of Jesus. And yet, uh, obviously, Jesus is up to something. He's doing something in, in, his, in Saul's life, and it's not actually punishing him. This is Jesus with as much love as he, as he is uh, uh, full of, and he is bringing his love into Saul's life to, to communicate a message as powerfully as he can. And the message is, Saul, you're blind. You're not seeing straight. I, I, am, I have been here right in front of you, and you've missed it completely. A- and you need to come to terms with that blindness. Saul got that message, and he would later write in 2 Corinthians 4.4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Saul would spend three days in complete darkness, alone, uh, unable to see, unable to, uh, to, to, to do anything else. And he has to think about his life. Think about everything that has gone before. Think about the things that have gotten in the way. Think of the wrong ideas that have led him to this moment. He had been convinced that Jesus was a fraud and his followers were heretics. Now he would be left alone to rethink all of that. How did I come to these conclusions? How did I, how did I get to this place? How could I be so wrong? How could I have been so blind? I wonder if you've ever done that. Ever had that point in your life where you yourself have had to rethink what, what have been my assumptions? How, what has kept me from recognizing who he is? What has kept me from responding to God in my life? How did I end up here? I think we all need to come to that place in our lives. Uh, for me, I wasn't blinded, but it was a book that, that, that just undid my thinking and confronted me with the many ways that I had just been completely off base, had been kept from God, kept from faith in him, kept from acknowledging him. And, and, and in processing all of that, just had to, had to undo so much wrong thinking and uh, wrong understanding. It's a critical ingredient in conversion, and I don't think we think about it enough. That dealing with that blindness, coming to terms with the things that would otherwise keep us from him. Because here's what happens when we don't deal with the blindness. Uh, For instance, church kids can often uh, come to church week by week, and they can't figure out why they're not as excited about this Jesus thing as their parents are, or the other people around them are. And, and the, the obvious conclusion is, my parents are stupid. Maybe the people around me at church are just hypocrites. Maybe this is all a sham. But have you considered that it could be you're just not seeing clearly? That's, that's the problem with 
with the, with, with the man Saul who would become the apostle Paul. He was blind. Maybe that's you. Uh, people come to church from a huge variety of different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different religious influences, different things that have brought them to this place that have influenced their understanding of things. But usually people just move on. They don't deal with the blindness. They try to move forward, but they still have the same cracked lenses in their glasses and it's not clear why they can't see. Maybe it's the blindness. Maybe there's something to come to terms with there. Saul spent three days considering the ways that he had been blind in his life. Three days considering how he had been wrong, had, had mis, misunderstood, misseen things, misunderstood the scriptures, misunderstood the character of God, misunderstood the Savior that he'd sent. If Saul spent three days doing that, we should probably each spend at least 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes considering ways that, that our assumptions and preconceptions about God have been off base. 30 minutes to consider ways that our thinking might be wrong. 30 minutes to consider ways that Jesus might be trying to get our attention. Because if this is not just an an academic exercise, if there is a living God at work trying to work in our lives, surely our perception of him and if the, the reality that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, that should be a dynamic we should recognize. And if if you're skeptical, it should be at least a dynamic that you consider as a possibility. So conversion is only possible if the scales fall from your eyes. And if that's true, we need to ask Jesus for eyes to see. We need to ask him to help us to see, give us clarity, help those scales fall off. But next, there's nothing that you need to see better than Jesus himself. And so conversion is only possible if you bow before the resurrected Jesus. Distorted views of Jesus Christ make growth impossible, make going forward with Jesus possible, make all of the other aspects of the Christian life uh, harder to uh, grasp and come to terms with. Conversion is only possible if you bow before the resurrected Jesus. Now in verse 4, this blinding light overwhelms Saul. We said he drops to his knees and he hears a voice. The voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, We've seen this before, but when you repeat a name twice like that, it was a way of expressing intimacy and endearment often. It was was Jesus' way of saying, dear Saul, he is coming to him in gentleness and kindness. It, It is the warmth of invitation. The figure that speaks out of the blinding light knows his name, Saul can't figure out how on earth he does, who on earth he could be. In verse 5, all he can manage to say is, who are you, Lord? And when he learns that it's Jesus, it makes him question absolutely everything. And sooner or later, every one of us will have an experience like this. 
Every one of us will have one of these experiences where we will come face to face with Jesus as he is, not just as we imagine him. Whether in this life or the next, the, the, the Bible describes this reality of us coming face to face with him and giving an account for, uh, for how we have responded. The problem is, we live in a culture that keeps telling us it's what we feel that matters most. How do you, how do you, how do you imagine God to be? What do you imagine him to be like? And because our culture keeps telling us that it's what we think about God that's really important, we never really have to deal with the objective realities of this. But the Bible says that day will come. And we've all experienced this, right? We've all been to school. We've all experienced the reality that it's not just how we feel about things that, that, that's important. You might feel that you understand algebra. Some of you may feel that you can write a great essay and then you get your paper back and you get the objective hard reality of whether you can actually write a decent essay or whether you do understand algebra. It is at that moment when the mark comes back that we are faced with the reality of did my feelings correspond with the objective facts? And that will happen in each of our lives with regard to Jesus. Today, people love to talk about who they imagine God to be. They say things like, God is inclusive. God is accepting. God is non-judgmental. God must be progressive. God, God uh, lets us do what we want, but jumps in to help us whenever we get stuck. Jesus is a good teacher. He's a great prophet. Excellent example. But is he? Or is that just who we want Jesus to be? Is, is that just how we imagine God to be because it makes our lives more convenient if that's who he is? According to scripture, eventually we will all know because we are all going to meet him. And I think the Apostle Paul's example here helps us to, to, to come to terms with the fact that at that day, what I thought about Jesus really won't be the deciding factor. It is Jesus as he is. What if that day comes and you realize you don't know him at all? What if that day comes and you realize, I've had this all wrong? What if that day comes and you realize you have rejected the true Jesus even while you are clinging to a Jesus of your imagination? Saul believed who Jesus really is in this life. And as a result of that, he was able to turn and make some changes and come to a place of repentance and faith. And as a result, he found forgiveness. He found new life. Now, new purpose, you found salvation. For many people, they'll come to that realization too late. They, they, will, they will pass from this life and it will only be then that they will realize, I was wrong. And so uh, this passage calls us to examine ourselves in light of who scripture declares Jesus to be. Now, while you still have time, submit your opinions about Jesus to who scripture has revealed him to be. 
Trust in him, as even this passage shares. Trust in him as the one who shines brighter than the sun. Trust in him as the one who has power to to give someone blindness and to take it away. Trust in him as the resurrected Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, the one who is alive, the one who takes a murderer, someone who presides over the killing of his followers and says, dear Saul, invites him to repent, invites him to relationship. So we've said conversion is only possible if the scales fall from your eyes. We've said conversion is only possible if you bow before the resurrected Jesus. But maybe some of, for some of you that still feels too abstract, some of you are thinking, what do I actually do? And that's the, the final ingredient that you, you get here as a takeaway from Saul. Conversion is only possible if you respond to Jesus with take action faith. Here we want to look at how Saul responded to this invitation from Jesus, this blinding invitation, and see what we can learn about our own response to him uh, in comparison. What we need to start by recognizing first is there is no record of a debate or argument between Saul and Jesus at this point. Uh, In verse 6, Jesus just says, Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. Saul didn't question the whole blindness thing. Jesus, I'm not sure whether that was fair. I'm not sure that was really a good thing for you to do. I'd like for you to reconsider. There's there's no record of that. There's no argument or or debate there. Jesus says, you're going to go into the city and I'm going to tell you what to do. And Saul gets up and goes. And... I, I think it's, um, may, maybe that's an obvious thing, but I think we need to recognize it, Saul could have just decided not to. He could have just said, you know what? I've had kind of had enough of this. I'm heading back to Jerusalem. I, if Saul had not responded in obedience to Jesus's words at this point, if he had not acted on them, responded to them, Saul would have Uh, this whole episode would have just ended as a curious uh, event on his travels. Something to talk to his friends about. But there would have been no growth, uh, no no forgiveness. There would have been no humbling, no transformation. Uh, Saul would have just continued on his path, continued in his blindness. There's something else, though, that's interesting about his response. And take a look at verse 9. It says, And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, I get that he couldn't see, but why didn't he eat? Why didn't he drink? Like, going three days without liquids is, is not typically advisable. This is, uh, this is a recipe for dehydration and adverse physical effects. What's going on there? First of all, when it says that he didn't eat, he's not doing what many of you are doing because you ate too much at Christmas and New Year's, right? It's not that he went on the scales and thought, oh my goodness, what's going on here? No more food. He, he is not dieting here. He is fasting. He is praying. He is seeking God. We, we know that actually because in verse 11, uh, it, it tells us that he's praying. 
And this is critical because if God is about to do something in your life, you have to move from talking about God to talking to God. Do you do that? Sometimes people kind of sit on the fence about God and they'll debate their friends and they'll, they'll talk to people and they'll watch YouTube videos and, and they'll, they'll, they'll go to some other sources to just kind of have an intellectual conversation about God without ever speaking to him as if he's there. And surely if he is the most important being in the universe, if he is your creator, your savior, he does not appreciate being left out of the conversation. Surely he is the one that we need to seek. He is the one that we need to give our attention to. God promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Too often we remain passive. We, we are bystanders of the God thing. And as a result, nothing changes. We'd like to be closer. We'd like to be more confident and we'd like to have stronger convictions. But as long as we sit on the sidelines, nothing changes. We're invited to seek him, to pursue him, to, to, to call out to him in prayer, to seek him in his word. And it is in that seeking that we find him, we recognize him, we grow near to him. Saul did that. Saul did that, and as he did, God sent a Christian to pray over him, and verses 18 and 19 record the result. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. He could eat now because he'd found what he was searching for. He could see now because he'd recognized his own blindness. And he could be baptized now because, well, Jesus commands it. But also as a way of saying, I'm starting over with my eyes open now. It was a way of, of symbolizing his new life. Baptism would be a living reminder to him that his sins were forgiven because of Jesus. Even someone who could have done what he did. Someone who had come with murder and threats against the people of God just because they were followers of Jesus. And yet it's easy to imagine how he could have excused himself from the whole baptism thing, right? I can picture Saul saying, look, I'm practically got a PhD in Bible. Surely I'm past this. Surely I don't have to do this step. I could see him also excusing himself from the other side saying, like, you know what I've done? I don't think I'm worthy of something like this. This, this whole baptism is a, as a reflection of my being cleansed by Jesus. I don't think I'm good enough for that yet. You could see the, the things that would have stood in the way. And yet God's grace called him. God's grace led him to recognize, no, there is forgiveness for all who trust in Jesus Christ. There, there is cleansing for all who have come to put their hope in him. Andrew Clavin, who I mentioned earlier, he struggled with baptism as well. 
He said this, it presented a host of problems to me, not least of which was not wanting to betray my Jewish heritage. My father had once threatened to disown me if I ever converted. Then there was the issue of his career. As a person of faith, you have a strike against you in Hollywood. As a person of faith who has just trusted in Jesus Christ, you've got a couple strikes against you, he said. And so I knew that there were costs involved. I knew there were obstacles involved. And yet, if it's Jesus who is calling, if it's he that is commanding, you feel, I've got to overcome those obstacles. I've got to figure this out. I, I've got to follow him. Surely he deserves my ultimate loyalty. I wonder if you've dealt with the obstacles. I wonder if, if you've come to that place of, of overcoming them and dealing with them. The Christian life is a three-legged stool, and you're not going to stand up without faith. It's not the Christian life if you don't believe. So make sure you've got this leg of the stool secure in your life. Are you sure that you're not sitting here this morning blind to Jesus? Could that be possible? Could it be possible that you have got him wrong, that you have somehow misunderstood and and the reason that you're not feeling closer to him is that your ears are closed, your eyes are closed, you're, you're, you're just not hearing. If that's the case, ask him to heal your blindness. Believe that he is the one that opens the eyes of the blind and ask him to do that in your life. Seek him for that. Pray to him for that. Are you sure you're not believing in a Jesus of your imagination? Is it possible that you have let wrong thinking, wrong influences, wrong uh, ways of conceiving Jesus just warp your approach to God and what he wants to do in your life? I think we all need to have the humility to ask that question, not once, but to continue to ask it as we walk along with him and continue to submit our understanding of Jesus to the scriptures and what he would seek to teach us. Don't worship a God of your imagination. Don't worship a Jesus of, this is how I'd like him to be. Deal with the, the, the objective reality of who he is. And the way you express faith in Jesus is through baptism. The way that you say, I'm all in with him, is you get all wet. We didn't come up with that. that, that just, that's Jesus' idea. It's not mine. But it is a way of stating very clearly, once and for all, I, I have crossed that line of faith. I am putting my hand in with Jesus Christ. The old is dead. The new has come to life. Receive that hope. And as you do, the one that makes it all possible is Jesus. Who else could rise from the dead to prove to you that he's the source of life? Tell me what other God hunts down his enemies to rescue them and save them. Who does that? What other God would save a person like Saul? You'd you'd strike him down with lightning if it were you, right? And God comes to him and saves him, shows him his blindness, transforms him, and says, 
I'm actually going to make him the, the leader of this thing. I'm going to use him for my glory. Who else can heal your blindness and help you to see? He does those things. So trust him with your life. Look to him. Ask him to examine you. And let's make this year a year where we seek him with all of our heart because he promises that when we do, he'll be found. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we need you so much. So give us a heart to seek you, to pursue you, to listen to you, to submit to you. I pray that the scales would fall from people's eyes even this morning. I pray that you would reveal Jesus to each of us. Reveal Jesus in all of his glory. Help us to take steps of faith. Help us to treat Jesus as Lord. And help us to revel in the wonder of all that Jesus did to rescue us. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.